Welcome to the Digital Transformer Podcast, your number one podcast on digital innovation, transformation, and venture building. We help entrepreneurs and corporate innovation leaders like you gain the knowledge and skills you need to build the leading digital businesses of your industry. My name is Kilian Karash, and today I talk to marketing executive and keynote speaker Maria von Schier-Plessen. Maria started her career as an e-commerce manager at Hugo Boss, and after leadership roles at Amazon and the rocket-based agent Zalando Zalora, went on to digitally transform the luxury Maison Montblanc to move it into the omnichannel age. She has been nominated Luxury Woman to Watch 2021, Business Punk Watchlist 2022, and Business Insider Future Shaper 2022. In today's episode, we talk about how to transform a luxury maison into a leading digital player, three tactics to successfully market to Gen Z, and her personal advice on building a successful career in the luxury industry. So with no further ado, let me welcome Maria. Awesome to have you, Maria. Often it's the person who has the least to do with the context in question, which asks the right questions and gets everyone in innovation mode. Give me the context to this quote and how it impacted your approach to digital transformation. Mm -hmm. First of all, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to, to join your podcast. This statement actually came from the fact that I noticed stakeholders which have the least inside knowledge into current operations and are not too deeply involved into the daily, into all the hot topics we are, we are managing in the digital transformation e-commerce side are asking the right questions because they are able to proactively reflect. They have a sort of bird view onto the organization, onto the topics itself. And this really helped because it's challenging us as an organization and it also gives, it gives a good point of reference or so a good distant and also very rational point of view. If someone is really able to pin it down to a topic we hadn't considered yet. And this, from my experience, is often the person who has the least to do with what we're currently working on. And I think this pair of fresh eyes is often very much needed. Indeed. And, and this is something that you experienced, especially at Mont Blanc, because just to give a bit of context, you let her, you basically let Mont Blanc into the digital age, if you want to put it that way. And you basically let a huge transformational journey at the company. Now, what I'd be curious about is what was the trigger that in the first place made Mont Blanc embark on this journey of digital innovation or transformation? Mm -hmm. Yes, so uh, absolutely. The statement I made was very much related to the digital transformation uh, at Mont Blanc, but also was very much relevant to the general transformation of the luxury industry. And the first steps also to, to embark on the journey were really to firstly gather the right stakeholders internally. So you can never start these sort of projects by yourself. You need to have the right buy-in within the company. You need to have the right stakeholders on board. So you need to also ensure you have a good level of internal sponsoring, you could say, but also um, information sharing. Then I can really recommend to also think cross-department. So this is not only a marketing or e-commerce tactic. This is something which really concerns all of us. So from sales to finance to HR to development teams, we need to ensure everyone is on board. And 
In terms of the first steps, um, I formalized a digital transformation task force because I, I specifically pulled key stakeholders from all the various teams. I managed to bring everyone on board on where we stand today. I got everyone to raise also their current challenges and what they would focus on ideally as an immediate next step in terms of digital transformation, immediate, but then also midterm, long-term, what do they need to change? What would help them to do their business today, their operations today, even better? Which tools do they need to onboard? And also, what does the target state look like? And when you talk about the target state, you often notice that there are different perceptions on what does the ideal immediate future of all of us, of our teams look like. And this was for me one of the key eye-openers to really ensure that you have a very transparent, very direct discussion about this, and then together decide on the next steps to embark on the journey of, of digital transformation. And for us, there were several factors also driving this. So the omni-channel focus, for example, to ensure we have online, offline knowledge, um, also e-commerce sales uh, transparency, and we also know the user as one plus also various challenges uh, coming up, for example, now connected to macroeconomic trends, spending power, etc. We need to have these insights about the consumer. And these challenges were very much coherent across all different departments. So you went ahead and basically, first of all, so to speak, in an in a external environment, you would say user interview. So you went through the different departments, understood what their core pain points are, to then, mm -hmm. let's say, bring them together to say, what is the common vision that we can create for this for this transformation project? Mm -hmm. So just give a bit of context of what Montblanc does and also what, what your challenge was or what your duty was when joining the company in the first place. Mm -hmm. So when I worked at Montblanc in, in Hamburg, I had the position of global head of media so i was responsible of steering all online and uh, offline media channels across all of our 22 markets at the time and at the same time then also i got the responsibility of e-commerce uh, sales uh, generation so for me this was really a key challenge to bring together media channels insights uh, allocate budgets accordingly to to e-commerce or to, to revenue targets and this was really a key trigger to set up the so-called digital transformation task force and when i talk about digital transformation this means for me that we are in a moment of change very very strong very rapid change and the key pillars which need to be transformed, so which we need to tackle within the organization, are often connected to digital sales, to digital activations, to e-commerce, even though e-commerce has been around for 15 years now, uh, at least for, for most of our players in the luxury industry. It's still so much, it still has so much potential and so much to explore and needs to be even more personalized in order to understand the consumer. And the luxury industry has been very conservative in the past years in the speed of this transformation. So pre-COVID and also during COVID, it was really, really time to act quickly and to also ensure the right tactics are being launched in order to have transparency, digital 
transparency of our consumers, but also onto offline sales, onboard the right tools in order to have even all this data and insight, change the type of teams we have. So have also more analytical team members being hired, especially in the marketing space. And I then brought my key topics, my key challenges to the wider organization and checked with them what exactly they would like to focus on. So if it's a digitalization of retail, for example, what exactly needs to happen to have a click and collect uh, possibility, virtual mirrors, how can we also ensure we have uh, one dashboard to look at our merchandising, calendar, product roadmaps. So each team had different challenges to share. And this is why I brought it further than to only marketing and brought it across the organization. Did you then, let's say, how did you prioritize those? different needs so to speak from the organization because let's say the retail department says hey i have the biggest challenge i need like this type of mirrors e-commerce department says no we need definitely like a particular i don't know customer journey tracking system a third party or logistics says hey no we need to have this and that um, let's say last mile delivery how do you then go ahead and like prioritize that because you were in let's say a a particular function, mostly mm -hmm. responsible, as you said, for marketing, but then leading a cross-functional or cross-departmental or um, transformation, how do you make sure that you do not, let's say, prioritize your own needs first? Mm -hmm. Yes, very good question. And on one side, I was really curious to learn from the others to also know what are currently their challenges and what do these challenges contain. So by working cross-functional, you also learn more about the different departments and you can put all different actions and projects into perspective. And we filtered, prioritized these actions based on revenue impact. So we wanted to ensure that in the short term, midterm, we are able to increase our sales, but sales always connected to consumer insights. So as we've seen, the strongest and most valuable customers for us were the ones which already had purchased something and then came back and uh, have been retained. So while we wanted to increase sales, we also wanted to ensure we can focus on the right customer segments, the most valuable ones, make them purchase and for them to enter our, our customer journeys. So really it was more a combination of a media and customer journey altogether, because this has proven to have a very strong ROI. At the same time also, we focused on new customer acquisition. As you also know, due to the phasing out of um, the third-party cookies, we needed to ensure we have as much visibility and as big database of first-party data as possible. So. These two really focus uh, areas, so firstly customer retention, but also customer acquisition, played a very big role and then have been prioritized uh, based on uh, revenue generation. Understood. And so you sat down together with the different parties, discussed all the different options on the table, so to speak, or ideas on how to further uh, improve revenue and then said, hey, this is how we prioritize it. Mm -hmm. And how do you go about or how did you go about let's say convincing stakeholders in the first place that that was the right approach mm -hmm. i am personally attending various conferences so i'm speaking at conferences but also as a visitor I have a strong network of uh, fellow colleagues also within the industry but also different industries and especially telecommunication automotive uh, from my point of view pretty far ahead when it comes to digital transformation 
So I also connected a lot with my industry peers, uh, looked at best practices. I connected uh, with a digital transformation agency to also look at uh, what would be their roadmap or prioritization strategy. And with all these insights I gathered, so external insights, then also obviously my own challenges from my own department, listening to the others, it was crystal clear that we needed to change and we needed to act quickly. So for us, sharing our pain points and also looking into the wider industry and different companies, we sort of, let's say, convinced ourselves uh, and had the buy-in from top management in order to also have budget put aside and work time in order to, to work and, and tackle these challenges. So if you are thinking about your, your status quo within the organization, you look ahead to the next five to 10 years, you can already see that some ways of working are going to be phased out, that some type of positions will not be relevant anymore because tactics and, and tasks can be automated. So in order to not lose touch base to the consumer and also to ensure we can increase sales year on year, this was really the key convincing argument. And also for us internally, very, very motivating to say, okay, this is a topic we're definitely going to take on. And so basically, in a nutshell, you went out there, saw this is where they, where all industries are heading, so to speak, to let's say, take a meta perspective, mm -hmm. look at this is the trajectory everyone is heading down. And this is where we're standing. And the fact that, let's say, consumers in for instance, also like up, um, upper premium or luxury cars would probably also be potentially your customers was then like a convincing argument as well to say, hey, guys, like this is where everything is heading. We have to follow suit. And mm -hmm. that was that was basically the convincing argument then, mm -hmm. I guess. Yes. And also to know the prerequisites in order to head into this direction. So it also meant to be able to capture more customer data, to target more granulary, for example, to ensure we are investing now into the right tactics in order to not have a big divergence between our online and our offline customer. And by looking outside of our own industry, this was really, really helpful because we could see on how it has been set up uh, in a stronger way than the status quo we had at that time. Right. Now, changing a big gears, because you spoke also about the influence of your network when it comes to facilitating A, those insights, and B, uh, let's say also lending you a hand and moving forward. You mentioned that you also, at Mont Blanc, had this, what you called lean-in circle, which is basically a circle of, of women that supported each other at Mont Blanc to learn from each other. Which role did this circle play in your transformation success? Mm -hmm. That's yeah, the, the Lean and Circle I founded at Mont Blanc and we were um, at, at the maximum at 10 women from different departments with different backgrounds, different seniority levels. But we had the same ambition to improve our workplace, to connect amongst each other and to, to also build a network. And this network really helped because even at like Mont Blanc, which is a pretty big organization, so almost 20K employees, while the production is also still in Hamburg. So you can imagine some topics might get lost in, in translation and you really need to have good in, internal contacts. And this organization, mini organization, you could say, our, our circle really helped because 
the different members could also make an introduction to the right counterparts because as everyone is so so busy uh, in their daily and uh, kept up with different topics which they are important because of their own personal agenda and they might not see the immediate positive impact of a project which is super big and no one really dares to touch it um, so this was really helpful as I said to, to make the right introductions and some of them were also included in the task force because we also expanded this to the talent and, and development teams because we also realized if we want to go ahead with the digital transformation we need to have a different kind of workforce in the future so this was super helpful also to, to be connected and to, to share insights and that was just a private initiative where you just, let's say, literally walked up to, to other people you thought were important in this process and you said, hey, do you, are you interested in joining or how did that all come together? Mm-hmm. So for the, um, for the Lean In Circle, we had really one-to-one catch-ups talking about our mission of the circle and so on. So uh, I also proactively approached all of them. And for the task force, very similar. So I set up a sort of forum inviting a wider audience and then presented the project, presented my own ideas, presented on, like I said, the target state on where I would like to be for us, mostly from my own department point of view, because that's obviously the one I can I know most about and I can really judge also what is realistic or not. And then we map the different pain points per department uh, within that session as well. And then we formalized a smaller circle because we didn't need everyone anymore who joined in the first round. Um, some of them also delegated to other team members or maybe some, some other members were more relevant. But yes, I proactively uh, approached all of them who I thought would be relevant. But then over the course of time, the members of the task force also changed uh, and really expanded because we faced then many new directions, which we didn't really consider so much in the first place. So yes, it was a sort of work in progress all, all the time and we had different members joining. That's super cool because I think it, it's a perfect illustration of how, let's say, private initiative to just connect to people within the company can really then also support a, your actual daily work. Mm-hmm. So so I thought that was just, just a fascinating approach that you took here. And yeah, really inspiring to see also that it worked out well. And, and I suppose that that's also something that going forward you would always do, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think, like, I believe that the stronger you communicate your own mission for your department, for your area, if it's not a department, for your team, the more proactively and the more transparent you communicate that, the more others know also what to take out of that, what is relevant to them. So you need to stand, in my point of view, very clearly for your roadmap for your focus areas in order for others to say yeah oh cool i'm also going to onboard to this journey or maybe they're saying oh this is for me totally unrealistic i'm not in (laughs) or they can recommend someone else but the the more open you are about these topics of course you also make yourself vulnerable to a point because you always are being held accountable obviously for the topics you communicate and the, the roadmap you want to initiate but I'm totally up for that and believe that this is the only way to to drive change and to also find like-minded people within the organization who also have this drive and also this motivation and uh, are then also super happy to connect 
even further. And uh, this is really a strong amplification then within these big organizations uh, we work in. So yes, I would definitely do it again. And uh, also listening to the other employees first to see the challenges on a really department level really, really helped because I think often a mistake can be to take things for granted, to assume too much before really talking to the different employees and really checking what is currently most important in their daily and what we should focus on next. And then really diving deep and going and like trying to also probe them, understand why, why they're saying mm -hmm. what they're saying. Exactly. Now, you talked initially about the fact that the luxury industry is right now also going through a big transformation. Now, what everyone, of course, heard about is NFTs and uh, also Gucci has been very much involved into this. How will Gen Z going forward shape the luxury industry? From what we've seen so far, and we are also expecting to continue in the coming years, it's a very much a need to personalize even more. So we've been talking about personalization for a few years, but now we see the more personalized, the more targeted, the more relevant we are towards Gen Z in terms of our communicational approach, the better is the, the ROI. So firstly, where now for me entering the organization was very important to look at all historical data, look at best performing audiences, do some audience mapping, look at different data points we have available, package them onto different age clusters, but then also look ahead and say, okay, we know exactly which type of consumer is reacting best to which type of advertisement campaign, product level, objective, media channel. There's so many different points to analyze, but uh, I've seen a very clear trend from the youngest audience uh, we are reaching uh, today, that especially the ones among like 21 years old, that they really see a strong need of um, personalization, but also to the circular economy. So to have a very strong focus on pre-owned goods, vintage goods, vintage luxury goods. We also have a cooperation with Bestia Collective, for example, uh, which is a very well-known second-hand uh, luxury goods uh, resellers. So we've seen that there's really a need to act as sustainable as possible already now. And another key trend which I've seen is that even more now than in the past, it's, it's really important as a brand, such as I think also from personal point of view, have a very strong brand mission and communicate your, your brand values. Because Only if you communicate them, people can relate, customers can relate, and you need to be super authentic in what you communicate. You can't just try to be uh, connected to any different product categories, any different type of collaboration maybe, which doesn't suit you as a brand. It always needs to be in line uh, with your core values and your core strategy. But I've seen that uh, Gen Z is demanding that even more than uh, the boomer generation or Gen Y. It's super, super important to be highly relevant, have strong brand values, and also appeal to current challenges. For example, Gucci also has genderless collections. So the size chart applies across all genders. There's no differentiation. Everyone can wear whatever they like. And this is also very much reflected in, in all marketing tactics, uh, events, etc. So we're very, very fast forward, uh, very progressive here, which I'm very happy about. But it's also the need and the demand we've seen from, uh, from Gen Z. Now let's dive a bit deeper here. One of our, our listeners asked, what are specific strategies and tactics 
that you have to use in order to successfully engage Gen Z? Mm-hmm. For us, it's a it's a constant test and learn approach because for me, for example, I'm overseeing 37 markets. So the Gen Z for me also have a, has a lot of different facets, a lot of different areas also to, to explore and uh, different favorites on a market level. So tactics, from my point of view, are, for example, as mentioned before, the relevancy, wherever you advertise, you need to ensure you're highly relevant. Ensure also you're using the right channels. So you don't need to go onto TikTok and Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, etc. Really check where your audience, based on the different age buckets, is currently uh, most existent and uh, also most engaged. And this is really something you need to find out yourself for your brand, where this is the best match. Then connect these insights with sort of quality filters, I would say, because you can always connect it to a sort of average order value, uh, interest in luxury goods, interest in other competitive brands, for example. So this is really, really important to ensure you're not doing business as usual, but you're always up for a test and learn approach. And uh, you're already setting now the right pillars in order to be as personalized as possible. Then at the same time, for me, the whole topic of the metaverse, NFTs, etc., really, really important. The metaverse, especially some of the gaming corporations we've done, uh, have proven to be very successful. Here, the audience is still, unfortunately, a bit younger. So they were sometimes even below 16 years old. And that's the challenge is that it's not possible yet to target here very granularly. So I can't just say I want to target Fortnite players, um, 21 years old plus, which have an interest in luxury goods. So it could be that my advertisement campaign in the metaverse is next to a subway banner or something like that, right? So it's a bit in terms of brand safety, a bit critical, but still what I've seen from the studies I've launched, for example, to, to check on brand desirability, brand interest, Metaverse has been one of the key drivers. So it's actually showing also that it's highly relevant for the Gen Z audience. And then another tactic is also to launch collaborations because there's only as far, let's say you can only go as far as to a certain extent for your own brand. So you can't transform overnight. You can't just launch, I don't know, another product collection in a way that consumers are buying it from you overnight, right? So you need to really build the legitimacy. Um, and this is a smart way to do it over certain collaborations, connecting also with other brands. For example, we had a um, connection collection with uh, North Face, Adidas, and here also you tap into new audiences, new market uh, dynamics, and can again also see if this is something which is appealing amongst which age group in your in your customer segment. So. These would be some some tactics I would mm-hmm. uh, I would recommend. Which I think is super interesting because essentially everyone says go go on TikTok, uh, go on Spotify, and so on and so forth. But what you're actually saying is first of all check where your audience is, and mm-hmm. then adjust accordingly. First point, mm-hmm. and the second point, I mean the metaverse is then is then more or less a bit the obvious one. Although which I what I would find interesting is given that you said that there is let's say a bit the brand risk. How can you deal with that? So you need to be extra cautious in terms of which type of um, advertisement you're launching. Don't go all in, really go in in baby steps and check first one or two different placements. Maybe you go for a billboard first uh, or maybe you partner up with a game which is 
not as violent, for example, right? So it's, I don't know, there's a game, for example, called Farmerama, which is often used in the, in the luxury industry, where you sort of build your own garden, <laughs> which, but then also here, you actually have some targeting capabilities. And uh, depending, obviously, on what type of brand you are, I would really recommend to check if any targeting can be applied, check that the game you're partnering uh, with is, um, is as brand safe as possible. And you can also, for example, do some sort of sponsorships for events. So let's say Jay-Z has a concert in the metaverse and you want to do a full takeover uh, of the stage or something like that. That's something where you also know that's maybe a brand ambassador you already work with or someone new. So this is a bit less tricky, let's say, mm -hmm. in terms of in terms of brand safety. And with regards to collaboration, because you also right now mentioned Jay-Z and Adidas before, does collaborations also include, let's say, micro-influencers or influencers in general, those that are particularly, let's say, thought out or hyped by the Gen Z, or is it mostly referring to brands? So in terms of influencers, in the metaverse, we're also working with gaming influencers. So really, really strong players from the from the different games. We also have a gaming academy in which we are supporting them, also with any admin health issues, etc. So that's also a really cool initiative. And generally, there's always the strategy within the luxury industry to sort of have both. So work with key big names, which are strong traction and awareness drivers, but at the same time also ensure that you have a micro-influencer strategy because I personally believe that um, it's today very much about engaging micro-influencers, which are experts in, in their field. And it can be an architect, it can be, I don't know, a chef cook, it can be an outdoor explorer. So they don't need to have a mass following, but they need to be very authentically connected to your brand and enter a different type of target audience for you. So this sort of combination I can recommend. And one more point I wanted to also highlight for TikTok is that why you should be so cautious in terms of selecting your uh, your media channel and don't go onto all social platforms, even though it might be relevant for Gen Z, is that um, for TikTok, it's only so powerful because it's about user-generated content. It's not so powerful because you as a brand are disturbing the consumer while absorbing this content. So actually advertising there goes against the purpose of TikTok. Yeah, so that's something also we need to be aware of, even though consumers are more used to advertisement on Facebook, on Instagram, maybe also Snapchat, because they can buy or use some filters, right? Some specially created filters, customized ones. But on TikTok, it's really going against the purpose. And uh, that's also why, from my experience, the advertisement tactics have not had the, the same ROI as um, on some other channels. So just be careful in terms of which channel you are selecting and if it really makes sense for you as a brand. Looking back at your journey, what is the one tip that you would give founders or corporate professionals who want to be really successful in the luxury industry? I can recommend to get learnings and start your career or also uh, within the career, get some learnings outside of the luxury industry because um, I started at, uh, at Rocket Internet, uh, the startup incubator, then went to Singapore to work for Zalando, then I worked for Amazon, for Google. So I can just say that the knowledge from the tech industry 
the agility, the speed, the very, very data-driven mindsets and the fact that everything needed to be measurable. There's always the saying, uh, I like to I like to quote, is what you can't measure doesn't exist. So uh, that's, I think, the credo you need to <laughs> admire to at, at a certain point because all these learnings you can very well implement in the luxury industry because there's still a lot of potential for data, for insights, for omni-channel tactics, for connecting the different teams, for launching new KPIs. So it's, a, for me, a great playing field in a way because I'm very lucky, thankful that I do have also the experience I've already made. So it's not something I think which only applies to the luxury industry. I think generally the look outside of your own industry to switch if possible, explore different teams, departments is super helpful because then you also find the right path uh, for yourself and also find the topic you are most interested in and also where you can add most value. So that would really be my tip to look outside uh, of your own bubble, super, super important. And then at the same time, also have your next step in mind, know where you want to go and also proactively communicate this. Know also where you want to go, what you need in order to get there and find mentors internally, externally, who can guide you, get immediate feedback from your stakeholders, from your peers, from your team. And don't be afraid to take on feedback, right? It can be hard sometimes, but you only grow. At the same time, also provide constructive feedback yourself. So this very straightforward approach uh, has supported me always. So I can just recommend if that's a way someone wants uh, to go or wants to do something similar, I can just recommend also to, to do it that way. Thank you, Maria, for sharing those insights. And I think perfect words to wrap this up here. In case people want to reach out, want to get in touch, want to follow you, where can they do this? So they can follow me on uh, Instagram and uh, Maria Plessen uh, is the name of the Instagram handle. And then obviously on LinkedIn as well, uh, they can find me and yeah, feel free to reach out in case of any questions. Awesome. Thank you again for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure and I really wish you all the best for you for the upcoming journey and hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. Same to you.